Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to worship with us this morning. We're glad that you're here worshiping with us, whether you're here with us or at home watching. Uh, we're glad that you're here. First of all, we'd like to welcome Mr. David Stern as our musician today. So thank you for being with us. We appreciate that. Uh, a few announcements to share with you right after church today. We do have the uh, business meeting. It'll take a little bit of time. And then after that, we're all going to go have brunch. Uh, so we'll get through the business as quickly as we possibly can. If you've not made plans to join us on any of the past or previous Wednesday nights, we hope that you'll think about coming for that. Uh, hopefully that'll be something that'll be uh, a source of great joy for you. We have dinner together and then Bible study for all ages, so we hope that you'll consider doing that. Um, also, in two weeks, we're going to have the Super Bowl. Uh, obviously, we're going to want to watch uh, the games today to see who plays in the Super Bowl. But here, after church on the 13th, we're going to have our own Super Bowl, so we'll be uh, raising money uh, for food kitchens, and also we ask that you would bring some soup. And if you want to make soup for the Super Bowl luncheon, you can talk to Holly about that uh, anytime after church. Again, we're thrilled that you're here worshiping with us today. Let's prepare our hearts to worship the living God.
Good morning. Please join me in the call to worship that's printed in your bulletin. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel. Come, let us worship the triune God. Please stand as we prepare our hearts to sing hymn number 15, All Creatures of Our God and King.
the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for the one who was promised is faithful. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn us? Only Christ. Yet we know that Christ came for us, He lived with us, He died for us. He rose again to a new life for us and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The Apostle Paul reminds us that He prays for us. We know that in Christ's coming God was reconciling the world to Himself, that our old life is gone and a new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven and be at peace. And pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. be seated. We come now to our Old Testament lesson this morning, which comes from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. Listen for the word of the Lord. If you return, O Israel, says the Lord, if you return to me, if you remove your abominations from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in uprightness, the nations shall be blessed by him, and by him they, they shall boast. For thus says the Lord to the people of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts. O people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with no one to quench it because of the evil of your doings. Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, blow the trumpet through the land, shout aloud and say, Gather together and let us go into the fortified cities. Raise a standard toward Zion. Flee for safety. Do not delay. For I am bringing evil from the north and a great destruction. A lion has gone up from its thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitant. Because of this put on sackcloth, lament and wail. The fierce anger of the Lord has not turned away from us, 
On that day, says the Lord, courage shall fail the king and the officials. The priests shall be appalled and the prophets astounded. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, how utterly you have deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying, It shall be well with you, even while the sword is at the throat. This is the word of the Lord. may be seated. At this time, I invite the children to come forward for a children's sermon. Okay, so those of you that were here last week, we talked about how Jesus read in the temple. You three, right? You remember that? So this week, we're starting the story exactly where we left off last week. And so Jesus reads in church, kind of like what your mom just did. She read in church. And then Jesus starts preaching a little bit. He starts talking about what the Bible kind of means. And then guess what happens? Everybody in town gets mad at him, and they try to throw him off of a cliff. Now, can you ever imagine when you'd like to throw somebody off of a cliff? No, none of you want to throw people off cliffs, right? Not at least you're going to admit that in public, right? But they, what do you think it was that Jesus said that made them so mad? What, what could he possibly have said that, that would have made them want to throw him off? Could you have any guesses at all? So stuff about the Lord that people might not like. You may have read the Bible. Did you read the Bible today? No. That's almost exactly what happened. So he said, uh, so the church, this is where he grew up, right? So this is his home church. If you remember, we talked about that last week. This is where he grew up. They all know this is little baby Jesus. It's now big man Jesus. And so they said, you are here to give us something. And Jesus said, I don't just come to give you something. I come to give everybody something. In fact, it's not just this little synagogue that's going to get this stuff. It's everybody, for the Lord loves the whole world. And so they didn't like hearing that. They thought, well, since you grew up in this church, and since you know we saw you be a rascal from time to time, that we've put up with you, now you should have to heal us, and just we just want to keep you for ourselves. And Jesus said, that's not how it works. I'm not just here for you. I'm here for everybody. And I think it's a great lesson for us to understand that as important as our church is to us, Jesus doesn't just love us that come to worship here. Jesus loves all of creation. And so we should never try to hold Jesus just to ourselves. We should try to share Jesus with everybody, right? Some people might actually need Jesus, right? They might need Jesus. And so our job is to kind of see what people need and try to help with those needs, and especially to let them know that Jesus loves them, okay? 
So we're going to pray. You're going to repeat after me, and we're going to figure out how we can share Jesus with the world. Okay? Let's pray. Dear God, you rock, and we love you. And we're so glad you came to earth to teach us to love. Please help us share your story with people we know and people we meet. We love you. Amen. Okay, you can go sit down. The gospel reading today is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 21 through 30. Hear God's holy word. Then Jesus began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me the proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a severe famine all over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow of Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. And they got up and drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off of a cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for this story that you've given us. We ask God that you would bless the reading and understanding of your story this day. And Lord, give life to our lives so that we may approach this story in a way that changes us. All this we say in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You know, there's a great many songs that are written about home, right? So if you're a, if you're a Beach Boys fan, probably Sloop John B. might come to mind. I just want to go home is something that he repeats several times to the song. There's the song Home by Michael Bublé. Uh, Philip Phillips speaks and sings about home. Mumford and Sons, Jethro Tull. When we're in the South, maybe Sweet Home Alabama is our song about home. In the North, it's maybe Sweet Home Chicago. Ultimately, what makes the most sense to me is country roads take me home to the place I belong, right? That's the quintessential song about home. Every time that we lived away, uh, as we would be driving back into the state, we would play that over the car. So our kids you know, hate it because they, you know, were in the car for eight or nine hours and then heard, you know, country roads. But nonetheless, Jamie and I belted it out. And, you know, we don't sing ever. So we sing that song when it comes on. I think home is a place of res- rev- mm, a place of residence or a place of refuge. 
And so if somebody asks you, where is your home? You probably answer a very specific way. It's interesting that when we lived in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, or when we were in Tampa or Miami, and we were traveling to West Virginia, we would tell our friends, we're going home for a week. And then when we got here and we were with our family and, and it would be time for us to, to, to leave, we would say, well, we have to go back home, right? And we would use those words kind of interchangeably. And so home for us, uh, when we lived in Philly or Pittsburgh or in Florida, home was both West Virginia, but also where we kind of laid our heads. Uh, for our two youngest, um, they were born in Media, Pennsylvania, even though they were barely old enough to remember it. So technically, that is where they are from. That would maybe be their idea of, of, of where they were born. Uh, Mackenzie and Miller were born at Cabell Huntington Hospital, right? But neither one of them kind of think of West Virginia as home. They both kind of think of Pennsylvania as home. Uh, so that when we have this kind of transient life, it really leads to many different homes. Anthropologists and psychologists have differing opinions of what it means. When did home become embedded in the human consciousness? In our sense of when did that become instinctive that we would have an idea of what home is? Are we denning animals or are we nest builders? Or are we at root nomadic? For much of the earliest history of our species, home may have been nothing more than a small fire, with a little bit of light just to kind of see the faces of the people gathered around it. But whatever else home is, however it's entered into our consciousness, it's a way that we actually organize space in our mind. So when I said the word home to you today, instinctively, you have an idea of what that word means. And for the most part, except for those of you that live together, all of our ideas of the word home are different. That's the way that the world is kind of constructed. Now, the Bible is pretty clear about where Jesus was born. Um, you know, last week we talked about how he had come home into Nazareth. He had been out uh, really at the beginning of this text. We, we won't read it until a few weeks from now. The beginning of chapter 4 is when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. Um, and then he begins his public ministry. He went home to participate in the worship and what we would kind of say is his home church. And last week's pericope ends in verse 21, and this week's pericope starts in verse 21. And so it's kind of, I think it's weird that the people that organize the lectionary have us do that, but it really kind of does set two different understandings of, of what that scripture really is saying. Jesus' first sermon is, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now in Luke, as I've said a hundred times, it's not just in Luke, but anytime the main character speaks, what's that mean? It's, you should know this by now. This is a softball, right? It means that's a really important thing for that person to say. It's a defining moment in that person's life when the very first time that they speak in any kind of literature. And so when he says today, this, this scripture is fulfilled, um, Today is a really important word in Luke's gospel. He uses the word today 12 to 15 times, depending on the translations. And he follows that up and makes it say, everyone there, all who were witnessing, wondered and were gracious at his words. So at this point in time, 
everybody's kind of responding positively. Everybody that witnessed this said, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. They're in awe of him. This was gripping. They recognize him. Isn't that Joseph's son? Now, this is not a derogatory statement. It's, it's already been established in Luke's gospel that, yes, this is, in fact, Joseph's son. We read that in chapter 2 and chapter 3. And kind of, maybe there's a sense of, this is our boy. And he just read that scripture, great. And he, he made a statement, and now we love him. So this is his hometown. And, and so maybe you're familiar with this. Like, people sometimes want things from other people. I don't know, that may come as a shock to you that sometimes people want things from other people, but that's what's getting ready to happen. So in terms of the Middle Eastern mores of the first century, a person had two main obligations. The first obligation was to their family, and their second obligation was to their hometown. And so one of the principles that Jesus will later tear apart this idea of loyalty, it has nothing to do with traditional family. Rather, it's to those who do the will of God. And so that doesn't stop them from asking, is this not Joseph's son? But was Joseph one of us? He's, Joseph is part of us, right? Doesn't Joseph's son then have a special bond with us? Isn't this the guy that we might be able to ask to do something very special for us? And so the hometown has in mind that when Jesus says, this is the year of the Lord's favor, then guess what? Nazareth is getting ready to rock the Caspah. The doctor is in town, and he's not here just to, to, to preach to Capernaum, which ironically, Jesus hasn't preached to Capernaum yet, but we'll tackle that text later. But he has preached in other places, and so... Jesus kind of sees what's circling in their minds, and he says, you're probably going to say the doctor is here, cure yourself first. And what that really means is, and also that's not really a proverb that's in the Bible. That's just, it must have been a proverb of the day. But it doesn't mean that Jesus needs to heal himself. It means Jesus needs to heal his hometown. Jesus needs to give all of his love and attention to these people. And so Jesus kind of sees that idea being born, and he says to them, that's not exactly how this is going to work out. It's not exactly how this is going to happen, because it's not really about you at all. And he brings two very, very tumultuously understood stories. He brings this first story from Elijah, the widow of Zarephath. Now, this is a, it's a well-known story. It's a part of their Torah, not their Torah, it's part of their, their books of prophets. Um, they would have known this story quite well, that during the time of famine, that somehow Elijah went to a widow's house. If you know the story, uh, he was able to stay there for quite some time, and they never ran out of, of, of meal or oil. They were able to live in that, that town together until the famine ended. God blessed uh, the hospitality of the widow, and Elijah even healed her son. And so when Jesus says to them, remember that during a time of Israel's oppression, it wasn't the prophet Elijah that was sent to heal Israel. God healed somebody outside the covenant people. And secondly, Elijah's follower, Elisha, well, he was able to figure out how to heal Naaman the Syrian. He was actually kind of a local warlord, um, and he didn't heal any of the lepers in Israel. 
So it's not really it's not really what I'm here to do either. I'm not here to just help out my dad's hometown or my hometown. The fact that my family worships here, the fact that we have gone to church here together forever, it's not I'm not just staying just in this place. And so he has this story with the, the Jewish congregation. And he kind of says, I want to tell you a different Bible story. And he blows their mind. They were sick. They were sick spiritually. They were sick mentally. They were oppressed by the Roman government. They were oppressed also under Herod, who was really kind of just a puppet uh, of Rome. They had been oppressed for years and years. Probably the last 30 years uh, under this oppression. So Jesus' entire lifetime has been living in an occupied territory where Rome has used them kind of a stepping stone to get to other places. And I think it's really interesting that he mentions, you know, Naaman, the commander from Syria. Now, any of us that have ever turned on a, a television and have watched a news story, maybe in the last five years or so, what's the relationship like between Syria and Israel? Are they buddies? Not so much, right? That goes back thousands and thousands of years. That is not a new thing. That has been going on for a very long time. So when Jesus says that word Syria, that a Syrian was given blessing over a Jew, they go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. The Bible translates that as rage, but let me define that better. They go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? They cannot handle this notion that their very exclusive circle, this group of people who worship together every, every Friday night, every Saturday morning, they come together, they, they can't fathom that Jesus would say that that was a good thing to happen, that a Syrian was healed and Jews suffered. It was scandalous. The only thing that might be more disturbing is to remember that, that that's something that's actually written in their text. They have to re be reminded of that every time that reading would come up. And so Jesus then says, this is how prophets' lives really work. Prophets don't come to bring necessarily all the best news sometimes biblical prophets are the ones that say we're, we're guided by God's story and we're here to kind of tell you what's going to happen but the prophet oftentimes actually ministers to Gentiles so that the understanding is this covenant promise that God has given to all of Israel their covenant was supposed to be shared with everybody it was to help spread out the socioeconomic and political differences of the day because it's a story of God's love for people. And so the prophet is not just to speak truth to the regular people, but also to reach out to those who have never heard this understanding of how God loves us. The rage then kind of keeps going. Jesus says, they're not special I didn't come here today to tell you that you're special. I came here today that, to let you know that the prophecy has been fulfilled in your presence. You're the first ones that get to know that I'm the prophet that, that was foretold in Isaiah. But that doesn't mean I'm just going to do things for you. That's a sermon. Now, as an aside, I want to step out for a second from this sermon. Do you know how I know I've preached a good sermon over the last 20 years of my life? Do you know how I know it's been a good sermon? 
It's not when you shake my hand after church and say, good job, pastor. It's when I come to work on Monday and I've got 15 emails telling me everything that offended somebody in that sermon. That's when I know that it was actually a really good sermon, right? Jesus found out rather quickly that his sermon did not hit on all markers. Now, this text probably is not a Luke and original. We have a, a version of this in Mark. We have a version of this in Matthew. But, but Luke does something here. Jesus, in, in Luke's gospel, is, is going to be killed by his home crew. This is almost a catch-me-if-you-can routine. You can almost see like Jesus being like a ninja warrior or something, trying to fight his way through the crowds. And any of you that have ever been blessed to go to Nazareth, it's built on a hill, right? So there are multiple ways that Jesus could have been thrown off of a hill. That wouldn't take very long for them to get to the edge, to get to a cliff to throw him down. But Luke says that he walked through them and through their midst, and no one laid a hand on him. Now, pause and fast forward. Think about post-resurrection Jesus. When Jesus appears to the disciples in Luke's gospel, he's able to walk through doors. He's able to just walk alongside them on the road. And he's able to, to not necessarily be in this kind of true physical sense, right? There's this weird thing that Jesus kind of does. And it's almost as if Luke is foreshadowing that this has always been about Jesus' presence, that he has the ability to kind of go beyond what humanity can understand. Now, it also could be that they were just a clump of people, kind of like in a Charlie Brown cartoon, trying to tackle somebody, and a cloud of dust blows up, and Jesus just kind of walks through. It could be that too. But something definitely happened that day. Jesus escaped death. He won't always escape death, but on that day, he did. And I think it's really important for us to remember as often as it's easy for us to blame the temple leadership in Jerusalem for Jesus' death or to blame the Roman government for putting him to death, Jesus' sermons weren't always rosy and fun. In fact, his very first sermon, they wanted to kill him. So it's not that Jesus was always bringing people together and like forming a big love bond. It really was that Jesus was a truth teller and sometimes it didn't go over as well as people might hope. I think this is something that we can kind of look at in Jeremiah's gospel, what Holly read for us this morning. It's almost like you need to apologize that that's the text that we have to read, right? That children have to hear these words that are, that are read in public. <laughs> Basically, the way Jeremiah starts out is, God's going to kill us all. He's going to kick us off of our land, and it's for our own good. That's what's going to happen. That's basically a, a generalized understanding. That's chapter 1 of Jeremiah. It gets worse from there. If you read Jeremiah's book, it is very depressing. Now, in the end, there's hope, right? They, they're able to save some scrolls and bury some scrolls, and people might be saved. But that's the idea of what a prophet is. And if Jesus is a prophet, if that's what the truth of the story is this day, that Jesus is a prophet, then he's already doomed to die. Because he's just going to tell the truth wherever he goes. The story of Jesus in his hometown helps me understand something. I think it helps me understand what it means sometimes to be a disciple. Chapter 9, Jesus says, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man 
has no place to lay his head. Where is Jesus home? Well, he was at home on earth, but he's now at home in heaven. And I think for all of us who adamantly focus on feeling at home wherever we are, whatever place we we choose to be home, while Jesus was on earth after this moment, for all intents and purposes, Jesus was homeless. So when we worship, we worship a vagabond. We worship a miscreant. We worship a hobo. We, in fact, worship a beggar. Someone that had to go through a field on the Sabbath, breaking the law in order to feed himself and his disciples. Chances are we might not be willing at all times to have Jesus be part of our social repertoire. He would likely be someone we wouldn't rub, want, we would not want rubbing shoulders with our friends. Jesus makes people feel uneasy about who we are, about who he is, and about what the idea of home is. I think we think we know who God is and what God is like. And I think every one of us is mistaken. We think we know what the gospel is about. We think we know what we need. Yet when Jesus shows up, there should always be a confrontation. God showed up. They didn't at first recognize him. They thought he was simply Joseph's son, one of their own, just like all of them. And I think we sometimes do that too. I think we like to think that Jesus is is just like us, that not necessarily that we're a savior, but I think that you, we all think, I'm just speaking for Mark, maybe this is not you all, but I think that, that Jesus is exactly like me. I think he's a Steelers fan. I think that he wants the Chiefs to beat the Bengals today, right? That's the minutia in my mind of what Jesus is. Jesus drinks IPAs. That's his favorite beer, I promise you. If Jesus were to make beer, that's what he would make. He's a little chubby, right? That's, how, that's Jesus. Jesus is a lot like Buddha in my mind. And maybe that's how we all kind of view Jesus as well. Jesus is this idea of perfection, and and we like to try to tie ourselves to that as well. And if we listen to this story, I think we're going to be very, very uncomfortable. Because Jesus is going to have a message that none of us want to hear. It's not about you. It's never been about you. It never will be about you. It's not about you. Jesus is not welcome in his home because he had the courage and he had the ability to speak truth and say, it's not just about you. You won't always get your way. In fact, you probably never will get your way because you're not focusing on what God hopes that you'll focus on. God wants us to focus on the kingdom come. To have a kingdom focus. Where Jesus is supposed to be, but Jesus came to earth to show us the importance of having lives focused on eternity. Not on the here and now. So, I hope you don't throw me off of a cliff. But I think we need to recognize it's not about us. 
And as a church, we need to focus on a kingdom home. So that the kingdom that comes here on earth is just like the kingdom in heaven where all of eternity is focused on worshiping God the Creator. Life is all about me. I focus all of my life on what makes me happy. That's what makes me a selfish person, right? I can admit that to you. I ask you every Sunday to pray also for me a sinner. I like my things. I promise you that I admit that to you. This is a hard sermon for Mark to hear. It was a hard sermon for Mark to write. I don't know how I'm going to put it into practice. I like my stuff. And I want it to always be my way. And what Jesus is saying to Mark today, it's not about you. Be focused on the kingdom. And so maybe what I need to say is, Jesus, who would you like for me to bring home today to you? How can you use me to bring someone home to you? Friends, I encourage us to have that same idea. And we can do that together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. This time we're going to continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for the many gifts and blessings that you have granted to us in this life. And as we return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask for your wisdom and your courage to use these gifts in a manner in which you see fitting. All this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to our time of prayer this morning, I have a few things to share with you. Uh, first, Jamie and Moria are on their way to Fredericksburg this morning for Jamie's aunt's uh, funeral. I'll be leaving after brunch today to go with them. Uh, but please keep our family uh, in your prayers as we lay to rest a, a wonderfully lovely uh, woman tomorrow morning. Uh, Adam just handed this to me, the Great House family's close friend, uh, Rona, and her brother and family should be in our prayers. Rona's brother, Jeffrey, coded today and is on event, and uh, the family cannot visit due to COVID, so we, uh, we hope that the Lord can intervene there as well. Uh, I did get to speak to some of our um, most vulnerable people this week. I got to speak to Cell. She was very excited for the phone call. She hopes to be able to come back to church soon. Um, I also was able to talk to Regina. Regina is still kind of suffering through that broken shoulder. Um, she will find out a little bit more this week, we hope, whether or not she has to have surgery. And I got to talk to Millie, and Millie just uh, is is just a sweetheart of a woman, and um, so it was great to hear her. She's probably tuning in right now, but uh, all of them ask that we continue to pray uh, for them as well. I'm certain that there are other concerns that rest among you. Let us now bind our hearts and minds together as we lift our petitions to our Lord and to our King. Let us pray. Holy God, we come to you this day humbled by your love for us and for all of creation. We thank you, Lord, for each and every blessing we've ever received in life. We thank you, Lord, that you are the source of these blessings. You are the great I am. You are so easy to understand, yet also undefinable. We thank you that you make yourself relatable to us, but are at the same time still a great mystery. God, as we come to you to this, this day in worship, we, we bring to you, Lord, our petitions, the ones that are spoken, Lord, and the ones that remain unspoken. We pray, Lord, today, especially for Jeffrey as he has been added to the ventilator. Pray for his family. We pray, Lord, for all those who are in the same situation, who are separated from their families, from this pandemic. We pray, God, for the healers, those who have answered the call to the ministry of healing. We pray, God, for an end to this pandemic. We pray, God, for your grace. We pray, Lord, for all families who mourn and grieve the loss of a loved one. We thank you, God, for the gift that our loved ones are in our lives, for the influence they have upon us, for the love that they gave us, and for their time with us on earth. We thank you also, Lord, for the people who are so vitally important to the life and ministry of not only our church, but in other churches as well. We thank you, God, for the saints among us. Please, God, be patient with us as we learn to do your will, as we focus upon your teachings. Change us, God. Allow us to be willing to be changed. 
Bless us that we may be a blessing to others. Holy God, we sometimes take for granted the freedoms that we have in this life, the freedoms such as gathering for worship. We know, Lord, that these freedoms have come at a great and severe cost historically to those women and men who have fought to keep our country free. We're thankful, Lord, for their yes, for their sacrifices. We pray also, God, for the men and women who continue to be part of our armed forces. We pray, God, for a day where we no longer need them, where your peace may reign upon earth. But until that time, Lord, we ask that you would keep them safe. Bring them home. Allow them to be reunited with their families. God, we pray for the persecuted church around the globe in places like Myanmar and Vietnam and China, the Horn of Africa, Malaysia. We pray, God, also for what appears to be a forthcoming war between Ukraine and Russia, and Belarus, European forces, We pray, God, for peaceful minds to rule the day. Pray also, Lord, for the world as we are preparing to celebrate the peace between countries in the form of the Olympics. We recognize, God, that China is the host of these games. We also know, Lord, that they are the host of many tragedies against humanity. We pray, Lord, for the Wigiar people who are constantly abused in that country. And we pray, Lord, that the spotlight may be upon them during these Olympic Games. We pray, God, for peace. We pray for our president, the leaders of our nation, the the leaders of our state and local governments, whoever is ruling over us. We pray, God, that you would be patient with them as they listen to your still small voice. We pray, Lord, today for people who will literally pray for their daily bread. We pray, Lord, for those who are suffering from the bitter cold. We pray, Lord, for people who are lonely. We pray for the people who are seated to our right and to our left in front of us and behind us. And in the stillness of this moment, Lord, we also pray for ourselves. Holy God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son to earth, that you had him show us how to live and and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our final hymn today, hymn 626, As the Deer. We're going to sing through that twice. And if you do sing, we ask that you would mask. Thank you.
dear friend of our family uh, often says, home is where you are most wanted. And it's interesting that that's his philosophy in life because he uh, he's adopted. And so for him, he's not really sure of what originally home was supposed to be, but he knows where he's wanted. Friends, I think the good news of Christ is that we are wanted in the kingdom of God. There's never a day that God does not want us to be part of God's kingdom. That's a joy that we should celebrate every day of our lives. It's also something that should inform us about how we treat others, how we are in this world, that we should welcome others, that God wants them to be part of this kingdom as well. So if you leave this place this day, please know that you have a purpose in life. It's not to do everything that you want. I'm sorry to tell you that. We're not always going to get what we want. The stone said it best. But you're going to get what you need. And what you need is to know that God loves you and God wants you to be a blessing to other people. And I hope that we can learn how to do that together as a church family. Amen. Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May he be with us all until we meet again, either in this place or his glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. You can be seated, and any of you that want to skedaddle that aren't members can go ahead and break bread for lunch, okay?